This is Jared Haggett and John Fontaine, and you are listening to the Three-Legged Stool Podcast, a place to learn how great experiences are built through the lens of software development, product management, and user experience design. On this episode, we talk with Gaslight, a global user experience agency, to understand how their organization fosters effective design and development collaboration to create solutions for companies around the world. Today's episode is with Haley Moore, Vice President of Design, and Tim Mecklin, Vice President of Development. You can find Haley and Tim on LinkedIn. All right, let's get started. Hey, Tim and Haley, welcome to the show. On your website, it states that your work is not about the code, it's about the people. To get us started, go ahead and unpack that statement and tell us all about your incredible team. I can start that off just a little bit and then um, let Haley kind of have her uh, perspective here as well. But when we kick off, a new project, one of our required readings for a client, especially if they've never done software development before, is a book by Jeff Patton. It's called User Story Mapping. He has a really good introduction in that book, although he doesn't call it an introduction. He calls it Read This First. It is the required reading for that book. And in it, he encapsulates the nature of software and app and product development in a nutshell in a way that you know nothing else that we've seen does and one of the things that he says in there is that our job is not to write code or to design things or to solve problems either it's to change the world and he does that not he does it intentionally hyperbolically um, just so that we think about the bigger purpose and the bigger vision of what we're trying to accomplish. We aren't just trying to ship a release or write code. We're trying to change the world for someone somewhere. And when you put into context what we're doing in that bigger picture, it makes it so obvious that the code that we write, the platforms we work on, the design systems that we use, are really only there as tools. They're means to the end of changing somebody's life. And so when we say it's not about code, that it's about people, that's what we mean. Our problems, software development projects, they don't fail because of code most of the time. They fail because of missed requirements or misunderstanding the need or business sections and isolation and, and silos people inside those not talking to each other appropriately and, and sharing what they need to collaborate. Um, so that's that's generally what I think of when I read that, uh, that we're here, we understand that we're solving problems for people and most of the problems we encounter will be problems solved through conversations and shared understanding, not through writing more lines of code somewhere. I love that. Haley, any thoughts? Besides Tim being right, um, <laughs> I, I absolutely agree. And it, I think it's fitting as designers were, um, I feel like we're trained to keep reframing things through the lens of who is actually, um, going to be experiencing whatever product we're designing or making. So like it's, it's about, it's about the people building it. It's about the people who are experiencing it. Um, and, I don't, I would say that in my experience, my most success, my most successful engagements have been when um, not only the client was engaged, right? You want a client who cares and has their time, but honestly that I did too. And it, it's on, 
I think it's on us individually to be passionate and care about what we're working on um, and to reinvest if we find ourselves like drifting in that way that it is it's not just about what I'm building right it's about this product manager that I'm helping her job be successful and, and her customers be successful and so I like focusing on all the people <laughs> yeah that's really cool um, you we mentioned in the intro that your company's kind of unique value proposition is how um, integrated your design and development teams are. I think there is a wide spectrum across the industry on those um, two departments. Can you talk a little bit about the relationship between design and development specifically at Gaslight? Yeah, I'll start. <laughs> um, so so there's, uh, I would say that there's some things that all of our teams do pretty similarly, and there's some things that our teams do differently based on the client, the needs of the project, and um, we're pretty flexible with that. But um, there are some things that we do, like we like doing the design sandwich. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but like, so um, a, a UX or UI, we, I, I use those two interchangeably, like I'll admit to that. But um, doing some work from the design perspective of wireframing something out um, before we're putting any sort of like UI on it, um, but getting sort of that like user experience nailed down um, and then having a de the, develop the development team interact with those wireframes to get some functionality um, wired in there. And then the design sandwich on the other side, the other piece of that bread would be um, the, the UI piece of that mm coming through and actually putting the 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 actual like higher fidelity visual on there and sometimes the wireframes are sketches sometimes the wireframes are one of our designers actually built out those areas um and so there's a lot of oh, thank goodness for uh like github and gitlab and being able to track and be and, and collaborate the gaslight was the first company that i worked for that had um that i that i had ever used those kinds of uh those kinds of programs. Why am I forgetting what that's called? Version management, right? Mm, that's what it yeah. is. Okay. And, and um, so it was the first time that I used that and oh my goodness, could I see the value of that? Cause in my previous job where I learned so much about just HTML and CSS and it was incredibly beneficial to me, but it was like FTP, like direct all the time, live cowboy editing. I don't, I know that's not how people say cowboy coding is, but for me, I felt like a cowboy updating stuff live and being like, is it broken? Oh wait, I got to fix it and do it. So I loved all of the, the organization and um, like just quality control mechanisms that were in place and, and how those things went. Um, so there's the design sandwich piece that I would say is uh, unique in how we collaborate, but even like during the wireframing process and during the development process, no matter whose column or lane something is in, our team is pretty collaborative in the communication process. And even designers and developers will pair together sometimes. We do a lot of pair programming on the development side. Um, and it, it's just, I, I love that um, it's not, we're not like, oh, I'm the designer, so I know what's best for what it should look like. And the developers aren't like, I'm the developer, so I understand this functionality and how it should work better. There's less entitlement than I feel like I've seen within other teams um, and less like stay in your lane. And there's a little bit more blurred lines. And I love the education piece of training our designers to be development minded and our developers to be design minded. Yeah, I was, I was going to highlight the same thing. Um the roles within our team are flexible 
And what I mean by that is a lot of times what you would post as a job description for a front end engineer or front end developer are shared between what we have as developers and designers on projects. Um, I'm on a project right now where the designer, if you put his name in quotes, the designer is doing React components. Mm. And uh, I think that would be a kind of a shock to a lot of people who've come from a different kind of a background. Um, when I started out, we had about uh, 50 people on this development team I was on at a different company. And we had, I think, among those maybe three designers. And the process was very much here, get a pixel perfect version of this thing and toss it over the wall. And you just know the developers are going to skewer it and butcher it and it's going to get to production and you're going to be sad about what happened, but you did your job, right? You were in your silo. Somebody asked you to research something and you just made a pixel perfect version of it and you handed it to somebody. And there was extreme resistance from the design house to the development house of collaboration. It was very much a handoff process. I've done my job. And when I think about that in context with the way that we work at Gaslight, that is, I mean, that neither side of that would survive for very long in the environment that we have. Um, the development and the design collaboration starts from day one. If we're kicking off a project, the story mapping sessions, all the discovery that we do, everything is designed so that there are experts, there are people who understand how to deliver on the project, but they're not the sole gatekeepers of how that happens. And our processes morph to fit whatever, whatever works, whatever needs to happen in order for the outcome that we're looking for. So we're not like output related, but we're not, we're not focused on the output and the files and those things we're, we're focused on outcomes. And that usually centers around conversations. And so we're very high collaboration and Haley, Haley said it, we call it the design sandwich. Um, <laughs> that's the, the kind way of saying that our designers can fix all the things that the developers break in the design vision. <laughs> um, but what's cool about it is that uh, designers learn more about code and developers learn more about design. And um, as time goes on, we empathize and can think about things through each other's perspectives more and more. We're not getting more isolated or more concerned with our own our own perspectives, but we're actually sharing more. And it actually helps us with the clients and helps us to empathize with them as well. So yeah, that's how we work together. Yeah, all of this sounds really super healthy. Uh, I've never heard the term design sandwich before, so I'm going to have to steal that. That's a good Go one. Go for it. <laughs> uh, I am curious to unpack a little bit. Um, you mentioned that there are some designers on your team that are learning code and, and vice versa. Um, is that something that's more of a skill set or a mindset? So in the sense, like, are you hiring these designers who also have React on their um, resume or are you looking for curious minded individuals that want to learn um, a variety of skills? More the latter. Um, we, I think that a good hiring process focuses on aptitude. I think that Gaslight has done a, a very good job of hiring talented individuals who bring their own talents and elevate us and us having some support and tools in place to help elevate whatever skill sets that they want to grow. Um, for, I will say for the design side, we do look for like table stakes, HTML, CSS. Um, if they are a good enough designer and have good enough HTML, CSS, then we feel pretty confident in our ability to grow that into whatever level of front end um, we need, but also our designers very 
vary a lot on what level of front-end development, what level of JavaScript that they they excel at, um, and that's okay. And I feel like we fill in each other's gaps if we have them based like on the developers that are on the team. Um, but we do we we do hire for an apt appetite to learn uh, those things. Really cool. Um, Tim, earlier you mentioned that this healthy relationship between design and development helps your client relationships. Um, that kind of reminded me that you guys are a client-based business. You aren't an in-house agency. Can you guys just talk a little bit more about that business model and how that differs from some previous companies you worked at where you were um, working directly with the company that you were building software for? Yeah, one of the things that drew me to working at Gaslight was the opportunity to see a wide range of, of problems to solve and, and interact with a lot of different people in different domains. It's really, really fun and exciting and very fast paced to sit down with a client who's trying to explain their entire business to you in a four hour session <laughs> and then you be able to deliver a solution that helps change their business. Um, that's challenging. Um, it's a lot different than, uh, than an in-house kind of a thing, just because you get a lot of different looks at different technologies and different processes. Um, we've worked with very large companies that have a lot of already developed in-house strategy for how they develop. And, and, you know, the size of their team is a lot bigger and they're not necessarily looking for that strategic push. They're looking for, you know, helping them to push things along a little further in the direction they're already headed. And then we have, companies in the past who've essentially bet their business on us on being able to help them deliver something, which is kind of terrifying, but also really, really exciting to be able to see that vision and help them help them push it. Um, there's no guarantee of success in either of those cases, right? But having the opportunity to deliver something according to that vision and understand and help them develop it is, is really fun. Um, so I, I don't know if I actually answered the question, but in terms of how we interact, uh, it, the kind of the longstanding rule of thumb that I've had is that a year at Gaslight is about three to four years somewhere else, um, just in terms of the experience you get, because you'll get a look at a couple of different projects sometimes in the same year, um, and you'll see a bunch of different technology. You're having people um, in your community within the, within the company having conversations and questions that are pushing things forward, and just that opportunity to share knowledge and, and understand what other people are doing um, it's just very fast paced and, and pretty exciting. Yeah, that, that answers my question perfectly. I think it's really cool to hear that you're working with companies of different size, but also in different industries. Um, do you guys have any thoughts on how do you kind of change your mindset based on what industry you're working in? Um, is there a different process or do you guys kind of run the same playbook for every company um, and just kind of listen to their needs? That is a really good question. The answer is we don't change our process and we constantly change our process. <laughs> our process is very much on the continuous improvement, continuous delivery side of things. We're not, we're not really into traditional project management, um, meaning projects have a defined scope, a defined budget, a defined timeline usually and try to track things with Gantt charts and dependencies and communication paths that are well-defined. Uh, what we're trying to do when we deliver, because oftentimes the budgets are small and the timelines are tight and people are just trying to get things done and they don't necessarily have any prior experience working in software. 
So what we're trying to do is run as fast as we can from the beginning. And sometimes that requires us to um, look at things differently. And so we do things like Kanban and we, we look at um, the value of software only being realized when it's in front of somebody who can actually see that value. And so we don't think about um, release trains a lot. We don't typically think about things in terms of coordinating large scale deployments and releases. We're looking to get to production usually in the first week if we can. And that doesn't mean that we're creating value. That doesn't mean that we're solving a huge problem in that first week, but we're getting that cadence and getting the muscle memory going. Um, and that helps to establish the relationship with the client. They can see what our pace is going to be and they can use history to determine the future sooner. Um, we don't do a lot of story estimation or anything like that as well. As a result, we're, we're trying to establish fact by what we've done rather than trying to predict the future by what we don't know. And so our process changes almost constantly. Uh, when we talk about like a fintech company that has their built-in processes, we're going to largely follow what they do. And that's fine. We'll suggest improvements where we can. When we're running with a smaller company who maybe this is like their second or third major software project, we're going to be a lot more opinionated and be the authority that they're looking for. And that usually means us running standups, running discovery, and providing a lot of feedback for them that gives them the ability to make better decisions. Um, so our process constantly changes in the sense that because we're modeling reality and how things actually work and trying to improve that, we're not trying to fit everything to the same form. We're trying to build a form that is flexible enough to fit what is right now so that we can change it to be a little bit better tomorrow. That's a really interesting point, Tim. Uh, and it makes me think of Discovery Sprints. And I'm curious how your organization thinks about Discovery Sprints. Do you guys have a specific twist on Sprints or do you run them in the traditional sense? So they're using the word Discovery Sprint. In my mind, I'll accidentally use that word for a design sprint as well, even when I don't mean it. But uh, so I'll say Discovery Sprint in my mind takes two shapes. Um, one of them is like, it, it's, it's research, it's understanding the users and the client problem. It's doing either or both a, like a technical spike or some sort of, um, or a design spike, if you will. Um, and trying to keep it tied to a certain amount of time. I'm going to call it like two weeks. Um, trying to keep it tied to a certain amount of time um, so that we're we're forcing ourselves to make decisions that are um, not letting us go too deep on a research hole or or focus too much on something, um, but to try to basically find out what we need to know to know how to make the next big decision is kind of what I'm thinking when I think of discovery sprint. And then when I blur the lines and I think of a design sprint at the beginning, we're doing kind of like that research phase and a user understandings phase, and then usually trying to generate something for a client that they can um, either use to get funding for the next phase of their project or use to validate that idea so that they can pull the trigger on moving forward with the next phase of their project. But I think of it as like, it's like this piece of software development that has to happen at the beginning of a project in some way or form. And the, the better that you can get at doing it efficiently and quickly, the better, the sooner you can start making the right decisions. Yeah. I'm really glad to hear you say that. Cause I think a lot of companies, um, see the value initially, but then uh, when they hit tight timelines tend to throw that step out the window. And so hearing that it's an essential piece um, is always good to hear. 
So when you think about this past year, and I know there's been crazy amount of change, I mean, at least in kind of the working world, it's been completely remote from home, which has been a a really big change for me and, and so many others dealing with so many things while also trying to work and, and get get impactful work done. So I'm curious how COVID-19 has impacted your business. That's a really interesting question. Uh, so fun fact, Haley and I both have a little bit of a hobby in metalworking. It's different, <laughs> right? So I'm, I'm into uh, welding and I have some equipment for that. And Haley has some jewelry making equipment. And so they're very similar in terms of they have to generate heat and melt something down and be able to reform it into something else. And so when I think about what the pandemic has done for us, it's been somewhat of a crucible. Uh, it and, and when I say that, maybe, maybe I need to explain a little bit more. The crucible is the thing that you hold the molten metal in to heat it up and be able to reform it. So we had weaknesses before the pandemic, we still have them. Um, but some of the ones that we had were longstanding issues for us that we needed to solve. And we never had that, um, that driving force that caused us to really address them. And so the pandemic really forced us to rethink who we are and how we work and why. And we're still, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of things still coming out of that. But we have had to, and and it's been productive and positive for us to have reshaped ourselves as a result of that. I think that's largely an answer that a lot of companies would give is that we've had to rethink a lot of things. Um, when I think about Haley and, and my roles within the company, I think about the people focus. And we've had a lot of change in a very brief amount of time. And managing change in any organization of any size is, is challenging. Um, you have to not only combat the problem of what am I facing right now, but also what have we always done? And so that that has been probably one of the bigger challenges, one of the bigger impacts from the pandemic. Um, if you layer onto that being an agency and being mostly shorter term engagements and having clients across the spectrum of, of the things that they're trying to do, some of our clients went, went away almost overnight. Um, and others were, were forming the cornerstone for our approach to get through it. And so from the business perspective, meaning the financial perspective, it impacted us and we've had to deal with some of the fallout from that. Um, it's, it's very much a feature, sorry, uh, it's very much a feast or famine kind of an environment. There's businesses that are just really, really doing well and some that are really struggling. And one of the benefits of working in an agency and working in a consultancy is that uh, you can sort of distribute your risk or your your project load across different kinds of, of businesses in different domains. And so we were fortunate in that we've we've got a decent mix of clients. And so uh, when some of them struggled, we helped them the best that we could. And um, we identified new opportunities as a result of it as well. So a lot of impact. I'm sure anybody <laughs> would answer that the same way. But <laughs> Yeah, that's a really strong metaphor. I like you sharing about the, the crucible. I'll transition um, now to Haley. You were the co-president of AIGA for several years. Um, can you just uh, let uh, the listeners know how your participation in the local design community has impacted your career? Uh, well, very forward. I met Gaslight through AIGA. Hmm. Um, and so I was introduced to the world of technology and becoming a better front-end developer through AIGA. Um, I 
it's affected me in so many ways. So being involved in my chapter, I think even if I wasn't on a board level, um, that community spirit of wanting to interact and grow from each other is something that Gaslight kind of already had packaged in itself. Um, and so that made the transition to this kind of like new community and new realm. I, I really at first felt kind of like the dumb jock when I joined Gaslight. One of my fellow AIJ board members <laughs> told me that I was, which was kind of funny, but I didn't know any of the shows or like any of the games or anything that they played. And I, I just remember being like, oh my gosh, I want to learn so much from them and being able to be a part of the AIGA community and seek out opportunities, learn how to grow from someone else and get uncomfortable and be willing to be brave, if you will. That's something that I learned through my AIGA experience that I think translated when I came to Gaslight. Um, I consider myself a, a pretty... Um, extroverted and outgoing person but as a creative when I was surrounded by a bunch of people who I considered so much more talented and smarter than I was I really um, became the opposite I was very hesitant to pretend like I knew anything or that anything that I had to share was helpful to anyone and through AIGA is how I learned that um, just sharing with each other is helpful right everyone has different backgrounds different experiences even if we're all in the same place even if I'm younger or less experienced what I had was something that actually happened an instant experience to share with other people. So being involved in, in the community and the, in the board really helped me kind of find confidence and try to uh, mitigate that imposter syndrome that we always feel when we're in different kinds of environments and feel like a fish out of water. Um, so it, it pushed me to, to like take leaps that I think otherwise I would not have been able to do. I was so nervous to leave my last job and come to guess. I wanted to, but I was so afraid. And I, it's so silly to think that I was like, cause it, it, I don't know. I just, I encourage people to be brave, I guess. And it sounds so cheesy, but I, I believe it. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. That's super powerful. Um, I think a lot of people do struggle with imposter syndrome. And so mm -hmm. just understanding um, how they can, navigate the career transitions that they inevitably will have um, is always good advice. Okay, so I really, really like the culture. Um, the two of you started in 2014 and 2015, respectively. Um, can you briefly maybe share what you know about the origin of Gaslight, like the CEO and like how it came to be in general? Uh, I can cover that kind of briefly. Uh, so the, the company was formed out of a couple of different local meetups and some relationships there. Um, the, the original founders were meeting and talking through the idea of starting a business, I think around the time that XP was, was really big. And as a set of practices, extreme programming is, is still pretty fundamental and, and core to us. Um, but they were, they were essentially, a lot of them were doing independent consulting or contracting, and they were realizing the struggle of what it looks like to be independent, and they wanted to kind of share some resources. So if nothing else, an office. Um, and they came together and they formed the origins of Gaslight. Now, it was very much like a development shop of, I'll, you know, you, you give me work, I'll do the work and, and get paid for it. They didn't really have any concept of the value of designers or design in it. And so that was kind of a cool part of the history to morph into them valuing the valuing the um, contributions of designers 
and making that integral to the part of how we deliver, but also what our culture looks like and, and what forms the company. Um, maybe Haley, you can speak to that a little bit more in terms of where Gaslight transitioned um, with our first designers. Yes. So I, my, the way I say it sounds more like a joke, but it's a serious, but these, de these developers got together and I think at one point thought that they could make the great apps that they wanted to make without design. And then they were like, oh, we need designers. And then, <laughs> and then they hired their first designer, thankfully, because now we're such a good collaborative design and development shop. Um, but I can't remember, but I think their first part-time designer is technically still with us, but as a full-time designer, yes. Okay, so we have the original Gaslight designer is, mm -hmm. still, is still with us and he's amazing. Oh my gosh. Um, so I think that as they, you know, as they learned, oh, we sh I mean, I'm sure that people can do this, but maybe we don't need to only just buy our logo off of this random logo generator website. And maybe we could actually have a designer go through a process with this. Maybe we can think more about our taglines that are more appropriate <laughs> for what we want to do. And Tim's laughing because there's inside jokes there, but, <laughs> but, um, there, they, I think slowly progressed to find or to realize the value of design. And I think that that starting at such like a, it changing their fundamentals was so in, important to how we're still running now, which is adopting and understanding design as an important equal piece to product creation. Um, and, and I think that still resonates today. Yeah, to build on that just a little bit, I think we may be in the middle of another transition of understanding the value and incorporating it. And that's on the product management side um, where at first we were like, we'll write code. And then it was, oh, design is really integral to writing good code and delivering good solutions. Now, when we're thinking more about how we're focused on outcomes, the whole life cycle of how a product gets built, like all the way from entering somebody's mind as a potential idea all the way through the vetting process and understanding if it's real and interviewing people and understanding where they're at in terms of whether that would be a solution to a problem they have all the way to, to getting a roadmap put together of what does it actually look like to deliver this thing incrementally and get as much value as soon as we can that that practice that discipline i think we're in the middle of of understanding the same thing that they learned about design in, in the process. That's fascinating, especially with the themes of this podcast being all three legs of the stool. I like to hear that you guys are trending um, in that direction um, and discovering the value of product the same way you discovered the value of design. Tim, uh, what, do you, what is the most rewarding part of your job? When I think about what drives me and what's fulfilling to me it, it seems like an innately selfish kind of a question to answer right like what is in this for me um but what what does get you up in the morning is a thing that you need to pursue right otherwise you might find yourself in a situation where you're not excited about what you're doing and this is eight hours a day of our lives this is really important um if you had asked me the question a couple of years ago, like, hey, Tim, why are you transitioning into this VP role? Like, what are you what are you hoping to get out of it? My answer would have been and was to multiply the impact that I can have. And so when I think about as a developer, I can lead a team 
and those other developers who are influenced by me can do can learn and grow and they can do a little bit better than they did yesterday in terms of how they deliver and when i think about it in a people role um you know i just think about how that multiplication effect could be even larger but i have changed my perspective on that in the last couple of years i think my role is not to multiply my impact um, that just multiplies all of my weaknesses, right? That that puts in front of everybody all the things about me that are maybe flattering and maybe not so flattering. Um, but I think my, my role really is to multiply the effectiveness of the team and to help everyone understand how they can contribute using their unique and intrinsically valuable skills, abilities, talents, and perspectives. So when I think about the most rewarding part for me, it is my opportunity to serve. It's, it's the chance that I have to help other people develop parts of themselves and ways that they might not have seen otherwise. And it's just such an exciting journey to be able to have conversations with people where they're very not confident. I mean, that was me. Haley talked about it too. When she started a gaslight, when I started a gaslight, it was overwhelming. It was intimidating. I was with these people that were hilarious and I couldn't even get their jokes and I knew that they were funny. <laughs> I, I was really, really, really just overwhelmed. And so when I think about what's fulfilling for me is the opportunity to help someone else with the journey of being uncomfortable, being out of their shell and getting to a point where they understand that the impact that they have is so much more than the code that they write and that the value that they have is so much more than the revenue that they generate for a company, that their value is intrinsic and that opportunity to serve will, I think will be the driver for me throughout my career. That's really awesome. Uh, Haley, same question. The most rewarding thing, right? That's correct. Um, I could go down like so many different rabbit holes here and I'm trying to pick one, you know. Um, so some of the most rewarding things is seeing people grow and not just designers, but I get to see that on, on the development side of things. I get to see that with like mid and senior people, even internal people watching them grow into internal leadership roles that I don't know that they were expecting to be in a couple of years prior. Um, but I think the most rewarding, this is such a weird thing to say, but the most rewarding thing to me rewarding is the wrong word, but when someone chooses to leave Gaslight and they're moving on to this like next big step of their life. And I'm thinking about when Tim said something about a year at Gaslight is more than one year somewhere else. Um, when we're talking to people and they say something and like even after they've already been with us and they say, oh my gosh, what I learned at Gaslight was so valuable to me or the, the fact that we can still have good relationships with those people. I love that I have not so secret goals of like hiring back people who moved on to other jobs. Like I love that I want people that, that moved on to come back at some point. I want like Gaslight to grow to a place that they're like, oh man, I got to go back there. And we even had someone once leave and come back, which is kind of a cool story in itself. Um, but just that there is, I think that every, every company, every organization, including ours, 
works through their, their issues that they have to work through and are always needing to grow um, and identify weaknesses and work toward them. And it, there's something magnetic about gaslight to even the people after they have um, graduated, if you will. And I think that that is something really beautiful and rewarding. Um, and even while like, I would never want, like, I'll just talk about my team. I would never, I literally feel like I would lose one of my arms if one of my designers left me because I love them all so much. They're so incredibly talented. They have, I would say the, I will genuinely say the design team's role in this past year has been integral to some of the successes at Gaslight. It has been astronomical and, and absolutely has been integral to our success. And, but at the same time, the fact, like how much I want them to be happy and succeed overrides, like all of those selfish things. And I, I think that we have good relationships um, with people and we do genuinely like, you know how, if you put given notice and your boss is like, you know, I'm happy for you, but I'm also bummed and I might, you know, we'll see how it goes, but there's like a genuine, like I am so crushed and so excited for <laughs> you at the same time. And there's just something, I don't know, there's something beautiful about being part of somebody's growing growth, growth, whether they stay or whether they go. I said too many words to say my, the most rewarding thing is seeing people grow. Well, that wraps things up for today's episode. Thanks again, Tim and Haley, for taking the time to talk with us. It's really inspiring to hear how you guys build digital products while at the same time impacting people's lives. If you like what you heard, press that subscribe button to get notified when we post new episodes. In the meantime, we do have another episode on the Kroger Design System that you can check out right now.